Welcome to the One Hope Church podcast, where we believe Jesus is our one hope for a better life and a better world. We hope this message encourages you. In 1997, a movie came out that I just really liked. Now, I'm not going to endorse this movie because I'm not going to say that there aren't things in that Pastor Scott's going to endorse. But, but there was a movie that came out that when I was 17... I love the plot. I love the plot. The, the movie starred uh, Matt Damon, uh, Ben Affleck, Minnie Driver, and um, Robin Williams. I don't know if you know what movie I'm talking about. The movie is called Good Will Hunting, all right? Now, the movie, if you haven't seen it before, the breakdown I'll give you is that it's set in the city of Boston, Massachusetts. It's set in, in Boston, and, and the movie kind of is, is wrapped around a well-known university called MIT, okay? MIT is filled with some of the smartest people in all of the world. Well, the movie begins kind of in a classroom, and these smart kids are doing smart kid things, and the professor is up at the front of the room, and he has a problem that he wants them to solve, a math problem. He says, you've got all semester to solve this problem, and if you solve it, you'll, you'll get great accolades. You will be seen as someone you know, over the rest of your people in your class. The problem is, no one could answer it. The problem is no one could get the answer to the math problem until one day the janitor, the janitor played by Matt Damon or, or Will Hunting, he comes in, he sees the question, and he leaves the answer on the board. Now the next day, the, 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 the class is filled with students because they want to know who got this answer. And so the professor walks in and he says, Whoever you are, it's time to reveal yourself. Stand up so everybody can see your genius. And so people begin to look around. Who is this person? The problem is no one stands up, right? Because Will Hunting is not in the room. And so there's confusion. There's confusion until one day. The professor is walking the halls and he sees Will answering another question they put on the board. And Will walks away quickly and the professor sees that he got the answer right again and he realizes this is the person that they've been looking for. Now the movie continues. Lots of details, lots of details. But they quickly realize that Will possesses something that you don't see very often. Will possesses something that the professor wishes that he had. Will is an absolute genius, but there's a problem. Will is not using his gift the way it was supposed to be used. He's squandering it by living below his potential. Now, some things happen, and he ends up seeing a psychologist. It's played by Robin Williams. And what we see, and this is why I, I really like the plot of this movie, what we see is a journey of Will walking through, realizing who he is as a person. We see Will walking through, realizing that it's okay to live up to the gift that he has. What we see is Will realizing that he doesn't have to live below their standards. He can live in the greatest capacity of the gift that he's been given he can stop hiding 
he can stop living below. This movie, while you may not have seen it before, maybe you've known somebody like Will Hunting. Have you ever known someone to live below their potential? Have you ever known someone, you see them, that they're so gifted, but they're living below their giftedness? And when we see this, isn't it sad? When we see this, isn't it frustrating? Well, I think this is where James is going to take us in a way today. As we continue to walk through the book of of James, what he's going to do is maybe lead us to stop looking at other people and how they are living below their potential. And maybe he's going to instead tell us to point the finger back to ourselves. The question today is, are we living out our faith in Jesus to its maximum created Are we living out our faith in Jesus to its maximum created purpose or potential? See, this summer, we're walking through every week the the letter that James wrote to the early Christians, right? And if you're part of One Hope, you know what we've been doing. If you're part of One Hope, you know this journey we've been on. But just in case you're a guest today, and we have lots of guests today— I want you to know at One Hope, my goal is always to kind of stretch us, to push us, to challenge us in life as we read Scripture. And James is writing to people with the same mindset to challenge us that how are we living out our faith in Jesus in everyday life, in every way possible? See, when you have a faith in Jesus, that's what we've talked about. We started week one. When you have a faith in Jesus, that it's supposed to change how you walk through trials and temptations. Week two was it's supposed to change how how we walk through anger and how we walk through not just listening, but doing the word that God puts in front of us. And then last week, if we have a faith in Jesus, how we treat people will be different. Because there is no favoritism in the calling to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's where we've been. And we're moving on to week four. Okay, we're going to go James chapter two. We've gone through James one. We've done the first part of James two. But we're going to go James two, two chapter, uh, verse 14 through 26. So if you have your phones, you got your Bibles. If you want a Bible, there's Bibles under the seats. And feel free to keep it if you don't have one. But we're going to go to James chapter two. And he's going to continue to challenge us. Now, this is one of the most well-known portions of James's letter. And it actually comes with a little controversy I'll talk about today. But let me read James chapter 2 for you. Follow the screen. What good is it? What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of them says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. 
Well, show me your faith though deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture is fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them out in a different location? As the body uh, without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. All right, finish the sentence for me. Actions speak louder than words. You've probably thought that. Or said that at some point in your life. You probably said it or thought it when someone frustrated you because of something they said they would do or who they said that they were, but their actions didn't back up what they said they would do or who they said they were. No one likes when someone does this. This often tears friendships apart. This often creates trust issues in relationships. Well, as we walk through these words of James, I want to again push you, challenge you, that maybe we need to ask ourselves a quick question today. We need to ask ourselves a quick question and be honest for a second that maybe instead of thinking that and saying that to someone else like they have the issue, maybe from time to time, we should look in the mirror and say this sentence to ourselves. But let's remind ourselves where we are. We're in the book of James, right? And if you were here the first week, I told you that this may be the oldest letter we have in the New Testament, maybe written all the way back in 45 AD. And James's life has been changed by the death and resurrection of Jesus. James is Jesus' brother, and he didn't really even believe who Jesus was until after the death and resurrection. And now, Jesus, and now James's life has changed. He's on mission. He's now the centerpiece, the central piece of the church in Jerusalem. And he believes it's his mission to speak to those early followers, I think he would believe it's his mission to speak to us today about what it means to walk out your faith in life. Now there's some history and some tension when it comes to the book of James. The most notable person that kind of struggled with was this was a guy named Martin Luther. Martin Luther is known for something he did on October 31st, 1517. You know what that is? October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther walked up to a Catholic church and he began to hammer into that door what is called the 95 Theses. See, the problem at that point was that Martin Luther thought that the church that he was a part of had become so focused on works and faith in Jesus for salvation became secondary 
And he wanted to step up and speak to what he thought was the proper theology, but not just theology, but how he walked out life. That salvation was by faith alone, not by works. So James, I mean, so Martin has this letter by James, just like we do, and he's reading this, and he's really struggling with this, because this idea of faith without works is dead, kind of, we would say these days, kind of like triggers something in him. He doesn't understand why it says this. He struggles with why it said this because this is what he's trying to push back against in the Catholic Church. Yet here is James saying this, but what we need to understand this morning. What James was saying wasn't contradicting what Martin was trying to say that day. James is not advocating for a works-based faith. What he was advocating for is a more kind of robust way of living out our faith. It wasn't supposed to be about faith or works. It wasn't supposed to be about faith versus works. It was about faith and works complementing each other in how we live. Know this as we walk through James today. That James would never say that salvation is contingent upon both faith and works. Salvation is found in Jesus alone, but maybe something is missing in how we live out our faith after we give our life to Jesus. I think this is what he's attacking, and so I think this portion of Scripture can be broken down in three different parts, okay? And the first part is this. Understanding James's words is faith needs to be seen, not just spoken. Do you see that in how he begins this part of his later letter? Faith needs to be seen, not just spoken. My friend Jeremy, a fellow pastor in town, we talk about scripture all the time, and we're talking about this portion today. He's, he he kind of gave these words. He says, Scott, I look at, at these words of James in, in this way. Our faith has an object and a product. Our faith has an object and our product. The object of our faith is always Jesus. We can say we put our faith in a lot of things, but for salvation, for the, our true faith to be what it's supposed to be, the object of our faith can only be Jesus. But that faith in Jesus has a product, and that product is Christ-like works. And it's these two things working in tandem together to create a lifestyle that Jesus was trying to call us to, that James is trying to call us to. As I read this portion of Scripture, I, it kind of brings me back, and I wonder if James's words kind of go along with what Matthew writes in his Gospel when he's trying to make maybe this point. See, Matthew is, is helping us remember Jesus' words as he's talking about the second coming, him coming back to earth, and, and how people will be judged. He's talking about people on the right and on the left. You may know it as um, the sheep and, and the goats, and he begins to talk about how the people on the right, they'll inherit the kingdom of heaven, and here's why. Verse 35 of Matthew 25, he says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. 
I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, invited you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? It says the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he said, we'll say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire. Prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. And they will also answer, Lord, did you see, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he said, just like the first... He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they'll go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. If you remember what James said at the beginning, and then Matthew is saying this. There's something there that pushing us back to the way Jesus lived. When Jesus was on this earth, how he lived life. And remember, how he lived life was an example for us. He didn't just live it just to get to the death and resurrection. He lived life in a way so we could see it, how it's supposed to be lived. When he lived life, he was doing it in a way to serve people, to point people to the goodness of God. So I want us to remember something as we read James today. I want us to remember that our, if our faith in Jesus doesn't lead us to Jesus, a Jesus-like way of living, then we should take a second look at what our faith is actually in. James is pushing. James is challenging. So that's the first thing I think we see from the book of James. The second one is faith is more than knowing who Jesus is. Faith is more than knowing who Jesus is. When James says even the demons know Jesus, who Jesus is and they shudder, this is a fascinating line. It's all, not just a fascinating line, it should cause us to pause for a second and go, oh, even the demons know who Jesus is. Does our faith in Jesus go beyond knowing who he is and what he did. I believe James sees something in these followers of Jesus he has to call out. Were they convinced that Jesus actually was alive? He actually was on this earth? Are they convinced that he did die and rise again, but there was something missing? They believed in the person and the action, but did they actually let that lead them to the idea of Jesus being the Lord of their life? Is that what's going on right now? It seems that James is saying to them, even the demons know who Jesus was, but he, 
But the demons don't surrender to Jesus. And there has to be something more than a knowledge, an intellectual buy-in of who Jesus is and what he did. And I want to tell you this morning, this is one of the biggest things that worries me about a culture that has church at the center of it. Because a culture that has church at the center of it doesn't necessarily have Jesus at the center of it. I worry that a, that a culture that has an expectation that you go to church sometimes pushes back that church and its attendance and what we do here is enough for faith and we miss out on the idea that, that just because we know who he is, we know what he did, that this is enough to save us and James says that's not necessarily true because something has to amount from our faith that maybe being consumed with Jesus or the church and the idea of it sometimes is the worst thing possible because we don't take the step beyond just knowing to surrendering. And I want to tell you this morning, either we confess our faith in Jesus and make him the object and the center of everything in our life and this is what saves us, or will have just a knowledge-based faith. And James says, even the demons have that. And James speaks to them in a very, like, in-your-face kind of way, and does he need to speak to us that we grow up with church? What do they call this area? What do other places in America call this area? The Bible Belt. Sometimes we can have a knowledge of Jesus, but not a true faith and surrendered life to Jesus. And James is calling it out. The third thing, I think, is what he says is faith in action has been modeled for us. Faith in action has been modeled for us. He, he ends it. And, and, and sometimes we need more than just words to understand an idea, don't we? Sometimes we need a picture. And so here is James. He's, he's saying, here's what faith looks like. And he's called them out. And he's like, and I've got a picture for you. I'm going to talk about Abraham. I'm going to talk about Rahab. These are people that they all would have known. Abraham, legendary status. He is the man. He is the father of their people, the Jewish people. And they would have known that Abraham had, a, had a, Abraham had a promise given to them that he, he and his wife couldn't have a child and then he promises them he will in an old age and they have a child and they have Isaac. And Isaac is born and Isaac grows up and then one day Jesus, uh, God says to Abraham, I want you to go take Isaac on the top of the mountain. I want you to sacrifice him as an offering of worship. And this seems so messed up, but we're talking Old Covenant. We're talking about pre-Jesus. And so they walk up the mountain, and he goes to, to, to surrender Isaac, sacrifice Isaac to God. He puts him on the altar, and just before he kills him, God stops, and he's like, no, don't do it. And he says, I see your faith. I see that what you're willing to do, that you're even willing to sacrifice the thing, maybe that means the most to you. And, it, and Scripture says it counts them as righteous. And you're a friend of God because your faith wasn't just something you said. You were willing to walk this out. And it's like, ooh, this is intense. 
And then James talks about Rahab. And if you don't know Rahab, Rahab's a prostitute. And she's in Jericho. And the Israelites are about to have a battle with Jericho. And two spies go into Jericho. And they hide in Rahab's house. And the military comes by. And they knock on the door. And they want to know if the spies are in there. Because they've heard them. And Rahab has a choice in this moment. Do I tell them, yes, they're in here and give them up? Or do I trust that I believe their God is the God? And I need to honor that God's going to protect me. God's going to keep me. And I'm going to not let them know they're in here. And the story of Rahab is she doesn't tell them. And God looks and goes, your faith was more than just something you said you believed. You walked it out. Sometimes we need examples in front of us. And I wonder in your life, do you have anybody that you have seen walk out faith? And you're like, how you walk out your faith inspires me. How you walk out your faith sticks out to me. And you have people that's a picture of the faith, and I wonder with you, are you going to be someone's picture of real faith so that they can look up to you? Are you going to be the model of faith that people could point back and go, look at how they walked out their faith, or would you not be found in the books of the faithful? James walks them through going, it needs to be seen, not just spoken. It's got to be more than just knowledge. It's got to be something deeper than that. And here's the examples of it. And I look at this scripture and it brings me back to what I said at the beginning. I talked about this movie, Goodwill Hunting. I talked about Will Hunting possessing something that was so powerful and unique, and he could use this gift that he had to do great things, powerful things, or he could just push it down and waste it. He had to make that choice. He had to walk through life. I think his story is your story, but we're talking about faith this morning. Maybe not powerful brain. You have your own talents or whatever. I'm talking about something powerful we have as a faith in Jesus. When you come to a saving faith of Jesus, who he was, what he did on this earth, that faith can either be turned into something that moves mountains or something that just sits and wastes. You can either walk out your faith in Jesus, and this faith can be so big that Jesus says it moves mountains that are in front of you, or it can just sit there, wasted. And I'll tell you this story. Our faith is not designed to sit dormant, but is to be a gift to be used for powerful purposes even beyond ourselves. And I'll tell you that a faith that is not built on Jesus and seen through Christ-like works is dead and needs to be brought back to life. This is what James is pushing us with. If your faith is not built on Jesus and is seen through Christ-like works and is dead, and be brought, needs to be brought back to life. Now, James has his way of giving us the pictures, but when I think about this portion of Scripture, what comes to my mind is um, the difference between a retention pond and a stream. 
You ever seen a retention pond before? At our university, um, there were retention ponds all over, by the soccer fields, the baseball fields, by the president's mansions, all over the place. And these retention ponds were meant to make the place look nicer. So what they would do is um, they would put like coloring in these retention ponds, right? They put coloring in them to make them beautiful. The, the, every, everybody likes water. And so the water looked nice. Sometimes there'd be a fountain in them and they would look nice. The problem is they were just a prop. You shouldn't swim in them because all the chemicals. There's nothing that could grow in them. You couldn't put fish in there. You couldn't put plants in there because they weren't what they seemed. They were just a prop. What you thought they were was only an exterior image versus what was going on underneath versus a stream. You know how streams work. It's moving. It's active. It's alive. Fish can grow in it. Plants can grow in it. There's all these microorganisms. It's a beautiful thing. It's producing life. And I look, and what is what James talking about? A, a, a something that just looks like faith, but really it's just a prop that sits there and does nothing. Or you have a faith that moves and, and builds up and bring, produces life, and, and, and it's moving and it's active. Is there a chance we need to look at our life and say, do I have a retention pond faith or I have a stream kind of faith? Is my faith a prop or is it active and growing and living? Is it producing something? I've said to you this whole series, James doesn't want to mess around and James isn't a book for people who don't want to be pushed. Is your faith alive or is it dead? Is it active and producing or is it just a prop that you use? And so I began just to think, and I'm going to go through these quickly. I want to go through what does an alive faith in Jesus actually look like? If we want to know, is my faith alive or dead? Is it producing? Is it not? I, so for me, I just came up with six things. I think you personally this week could add to the list because you're smart. You, the Holy Spirit can speak to you. You can grow this. But for me, there were six things that I'm like, Scott, look at these things to see, is my faith alive and not just a prop? First thing is a faith that's alive takes the next step of obedience. When we follow Jesus in faith, we don't always get the full picture, but he gives us the next step. And a faith that's alive trusts Jesus for the next step and doesn't need the fourth step. A faith that's alive says, I don't really want to do this, but I'm going to live in obedience right now. I'll take the next step of obedience. If we have a faith in Jesus, we say, if you tell me to do it, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to take the step that you call me to. And this room is filled with stories of people who took the next step. And you didn't know the third step, but you knew the next step. And you lived in obedience. That is an alive faith. Second thing I thought about was a faith that's alive looks to serve others first. We saw that in here, right? A faith that's alive says it's not about me. I'm going to serve others. I see this all through the church. People giving 
of themselves and serving. I see how people throw parties for each other when they have a big moment. I see people serving when they have a hard moment in life like a funeral. I see people serving and how they're teaching a class. I see it serving and uh, volunteering in the children's ministry and we need so many people to do that. And people say, yeah, I'll jump in and do it. We see people at doors. We see people running cameras and sound. We see people singing. We see, we see people serving each other in the church, but not just in the church. You serve people out of this place. Do you serve people at your jobs? Do you serve people in your home? Do you serve your friends? Do you serve the random person? Do you serve the person that you don't really like? Because an alive faith looks to serve others first. Are you about you or are you about serving others? The third thing that I wrote down was faith that's alive chooses a daily relationship with Jesus. One of the greatest fears, if I can use that word in here, is about someone who made a prayer or said a prayer, believing in who Jesus is, but does not seek a daily relationship. That faith cannot be alive, y'all. Because if our faith is built in the person of Jesus, he's the object of our faith, then we have to be with him choosing him we see jesus do it all through scripture he goes and prays to the father he goes spend time with his father because that's where his connection point is how can your faith be alive if you're not choosing a daily relationship our faith is not built on a decision we made once but it's built on a daily relationship that grows this is the faith and work side of it is yes salvation came through a prayer but our faith is alive and it's growing because of the working of a daily relationship with jesus it's not a one nor the other, and I will push you this morning, if you truly believed in Jesus and us to give your life to Jesus, why wouldn't we walk through a daily choosing to have a relationship with him? We have to wonder what was our faith really in. The fourth thing I said to myself this week, I'll say to you, is a faith that's alive lives sacrificially. There is nothing more Christ-like in our works than living sacrificially, giving ourself, our stuff, our whatever God has provided for us, just giving it away. We know what the sacrifice of Jesus was. What is our sacrifice every day? Someone needs something we have, can we give it away? God gives a design for how we spend our time, energy, money. Do we follow this in a sacrificial way? I'm going to give props for a second to the generation that came before me. I see such an attitude of sacrifice that there's something in that generation that says, I don't need to just hoard and accumulate and try to get for me. I sacrifice. I'm so inspired by the generations that came before that just said, it's not about what I have in this earth. But I'll tell you, my generation, we overspend. We overbuy. We get into debt in a way that I worry because we can't live sacrificially with our time, with our stuff because we don't have any margin in life. We're sunk already. And a faith that's alive lives sacrificially 
for other people. We create the margin to say, I can give myself away. I can give this stuff away. You can have my money because God, what you gave me is all yours. And I know you'll provide again because I have a faith in you. The fifth thing is uh, faith that's alive believes in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was a gift for us to do more than we ever asked or imagined in this life. Uh, faith that's alive believes in the impossible because of the Holy Spirit believes that the Holy Spirit could do a work in your life, your spouse's life, your child's life, your work can bring healing. That the work of the Holy Spirit is powerful, power to convict me, power to give me counsel, the power to move me in the direction I need to go in life. The Holy Spirit is the gift that can do everything beyond my own capabilities. The alive face says, God, you have given me something, so what we think is impossible is not impossible. So we believe for something greater than we can see in front of us. That's what an alive faith is. And then the last thing is, Puts trust in Jesus more than myself. I don't wake up in the morning and say, I gotta depend on me. I depend on you completely, God, for anything I need today. A faith that's alive wakes up and go, I may not have everything I need, but God, I know somehow you're gonna work it out. I trust you. God, I don't know how I'm gonna accomplish this at work today, but I trust you because I trust you more than myself. God, I don't know how you're gonna work this out, but I trust you more than myself, so I'm just gonna give my life to you. That, 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 that for my life, it's just like I give you everything because I trust you more than I trust myself. This is what an alive faith looks like. Maybe James wants to push us it says, what kind of faith are you living out? Because a faith that's lived out and is alive is a completely different life than a, a faith that's dead. A faith that's alive is, full, is living out the fullness of everything that God had for us, everything that Jesus wanted for us. We get to live, but it's, but it's costly because it's in faith. We can't actually see it. And so sometimes we just accept a dead faith that with Jesus, I believe in you because what you did in the cross, but I'm really going to trust myself. I believe in who you are, Jesus, and what you did, but this life is tough, and i got to make it happen. And some of you are under the weight of life because your faith has become dead and needs to be brought back to life, and you know who Jesus is. But your faith isn't actually in him. Your, 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 your belief or your knowledge is in Jesus. But your faith is in something else. James goes, there's more. It's this faith and works in tandem with each other. Have you ever ridden a bicycle? Have you ever tried to ride a bicycle with just one foot? You don't, I can't get that pedal back up with one foot. I think of this faith thing, it's like when both of these are working together, I can go to a place, but while it's just one foot, it's just, I'm stuck. And some of you are stuck. I'm gonna offer you this morning just a chance to say, I don't wanna be stuck anymore. I don't wanna be stuck anymore. I wanna live a faith that's alive and vibrant and robust, and I wanna live in the fulfillment of what Jesus has offered me. And so maybe for you, it's you are a believer in Jesus and have given your life, but you know 
you've been taking that next step to really trust Jesus with everything. And some of you maybe haven't given your life to Jesus and you feel stuck. And I'll tell you, you'll always feel stuck until you make the move and say, Jesus, I'll just give you my life. Because I'm sick of being stuck. I don't want to sit in one place. I know who you are. I've heard about you my whole life, but it doesn't mean that I'm totally bought in and surrendered to you. That maybe this is that surrender moment and your faith becomes alive and you begin to work out that faith every day. So we're going to end in worship this morning as we do, and it's just a song that speaks to our availability of God. You can have everything. And maybe during this, you want to respond in faith. And these altars are always open. It's what we do here. It's like, God, I want to come bring myself. Maybe you want to do that. Maybe you want to turn your chair into an altar. But if you want to give your life to Jesus for a first time or in a deeper way, may you do that during prayer. God, forgive me. I give you myself completely because you gave yourself to me completely. Can we pray? Heavenly Father. You are so good to us. You gave yourself to us. You are completely available to us as humans. You came to us. And God, I want us to be people who just give ourselves back to you completely, surrendering, confessing our belief in you, but also may our life confess it as well. So God, do a work only you can do. We want to make ourselves available to live in the faith you've called us to. And it's your name we pray. Thank you for listening to this message from One Hope Church. If you liked this message and would like to hear more, check out our website at OurOneHope.com for message archives, service times, and more information on how you can get connected. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.